The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, August 13th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning. My name is Tim. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. And it is uh, truly a joy, as was said earlier, to be able to gather together, to be reminded of all that we have to sing praises about. It's an honor to be able to gather together um, as a church, as his people, each and every Sunday. Um, so so I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're here together. Uh, this summer, we have been going through and looking at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a uh, tough book, a difficult book in a, in a good way. If you uh, honestly read the Proverbs, you don't come out thinking, I'm crushing it at the Christian life. Um, <laughs> Proverbs is a uh, consistent comparison between the wise and the foolish. And if I'm honest, as others have been, more than often my daily life looks much more like the foolish man's life. Um, Proverbs shows us uh, what wisdom in our daily life looks like. As uh, Pastor Robert put it at the beginning of this series, Proverbs teaches us how to skillfully walk in the ways that God has set out for us. Um, and just a few weeks ago, uh, Robert uh, gave a sermon on uh, Proverbs and was talking about not being wise in our own eyes. And so this is kind of a uh, zero in on that idea, as, as well as what last week was, was also a zero in on that idea. Mark uh, took us last week through the connection that we have uh, here in Proverbs between parenting and discipline. And uh, today, uh, we're going to continue with that theme of, of discipline or correction, a fun way to spend two weeks in the summer uh, talking about the discipline on Sunday morning. Um, but as, as Mark led us through that, he talked about the importance of giving discipline, especially as parents. Today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 12 and, and we're going to see the other side of it. We're going to consider the importance of, of learning to receive correction well. Learning to actually love to get correction. Uh, I like to be transparent and honest. So um, I will just say to you, I have considered multiple times not preaching this, this sermon. Um, there were two primary reasons for that. The first reason is that uh, apparently when you prepare to preach a sermon on correction, God brings a lot of it into your life, um, which is great. Uh, we, we have a spreadsheet for those preaching um, that we've set up for the summer. And, and about six or eight weeks ago, I put down this, this sermon uh, text and topic. And, and literally ever since then, I've been getting more texts and emails, people setting up meetings. Uh, some people I haven't talked to in a long time. Some people, I don't even know who their number is on my phone. I'm not sure I know them. They're all setting up to confront or correct something that they've seen in me. Um, <laughs> So I, I, have, I have thought about just, just uh, stopping preaching the sermon uh, just to see if that would stop. Um, the, the other reason is the other side of that. I've considered that as I'm up here telling you we need to, to learn to receive correction well, that some of you are going to hear that and say, well, this is my opportunity. Um, Tim just said he needs to receive correction well, so this is an open door for me to let him know. So hold those emails and texts till the end of the service, please. Um, <laughs> but then have at it after that. Um, we, are, uh, we are often trying to find uh, the right way, the right intention. We are trying to work up the boldness to be able to correct others. 
Uh, we often give thought on how to correct and discipline others well. And that's important, as Mark showed us last week. Uh, but it is actually just as important to learn how to skillfully and humbly receive correction. And I think we spend far less time uh, considering how to prepare our hearts and minds to receive correction from others. Uh, we don't think that receiving correction is an area of our life that God wants us to grow in. It's just something that we have to deal with as it comes. But receiving correction is about wisdom and foolishness, as is the theme of Proverbs. And our, and our text for this week is very short and very blunt, but shows us that God wants us to become skillful in receiving correction. He wants us to grow in this. Um, our, our verse for this week, our proverb for this week is, is found in Proverbs chapter 12, and it is verse 1. And it simply says this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) These words, discipline and reproof, uh, are in many many translations are translated correction. Uh, The meaning of this this text is as straightforward as it gets. Um, and, And I will just tell you why that's hard for me. Because I hate correction. Um, I know some of you are thinking right now, but the Bible just said, don't hate correction. I know it's, it's true. Uh, but I think, uh, if we're honest, most of us don't actually like correction. Uh, we don't like discipline. We're not looking for it. We border on hate, if not hate, uh, that in our lives, our society, our culture has decided that we hate it enough that you might actually be a, a bad person if you correct somebody Else, We're all okay with coaches and mentors who help us in sports and, and, and our job. But when someone offers correction on the way that you live, on the way that you think, on the way that you act and speak, uh, then we see collectively how much we hate correction. But I admit, I don't like it either. I don't like to give it, and I certainly don't like to receive it, and I don't like to be called stupid. So we've got a lot to figure out today. Um, So I'm going to pray and ask God to help each of us. Uh, Father, uh, we we turn to you now. We want to learn to love the things that you love. Uh, We want to learn the ways that you have uh, called out for us. And so even though this is is, uh, difficult for most of us to understand how how correction and discipline can be good for us, we we know that if you say that it's good, that it's good. And so um, I I hope and, and, and ask that you would help us to see that uh, clearly this morning, that you would help us to, to see it and that it would be reflected more in our lives um, and that you would use it in a great way to, to transform us, to grow us, to become more like you. Uh, Father, we, we trust you with it all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, this is often the point in the service where the one preaching, me in this instance, will explain to everyone the deeper and often richer meaning behind the original words in the text. They will explain the, the, the original writing, the Greek or the Hebrew meaning of a word like stupid and help you understand that our understanding isn't as complete as it should be. Um, I spent hours uh, for this sermon this week studying, studying commentaries, uh, and I want you to know, stupid means exactly what you think it means. (laughs) 
It, it is literally the same in every translation. Almost that never happens. But it is, it is the same word. Everybody has translated the same thing. It means the same thing that I meant when I told my sisters as a kid that they were stupid. Um, but kids, let me, just, let me just say this. If you don't hear anything else, this is probably the one thing. Just because the Bible uses it, you are not free to use this on your siblings. Um, but it turns out that the word means basically the same thing 4,000 years ago as it does today. But... Let me help you with this. The author here is, is King Solomon, but this is God speaking to us. And when he uses the word stupid, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with your intellect. It doesn't have anything to do with how far you made it through school or how you feel while you're watching Jeopardy. Uh, here, God uses this word to, to grab our attention, to make us understand, to make us realize that we need to take this very seriously because it is serious. We're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, my son, do not reject or take lightly the discipline of the Lord. God is using this word stupid to help ensure that we do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord. The word that is used here it literally means that you are like an animal. You are beast-like. Um, one commentator said it is like an animal that drinks poison, uh, but refuses to calm down to let the doctor give him the antidote. Refusing correction is refusing the good that, that God has for you. God has words of life, but you refuse them. You won't take them. Um, we, are, we, are, uh, we find it painful, so we refuse it for some temporary comfort. Uh, but that just shows that we lack understanding. If we really understood how God uses correction, then we would want it. We would not refuse it. Uh, God doesn't discipline and correct us just for the sake of discipline. Also, oftentimes, I think we think that discipline is some great end in and of itself. Um, he actually has a wonderful purpose for it. And as Christians, we should learn not just to put up with it, but actually learn to love it. Um, here, is, here is maybe the most encouraging thing you'll, you'll hear today. It won't sound like it. Um, you will need correction every single day that you're alive. I'm going to need correction every single day that I'm alive. Uh, one of the early church fathers talking about this verse said this, you possess an immortal soul and infinite capacity for progress and improvement. You possess infinite capacity for progress and improvement. I will translate for you. That's a fancy, nice way of saying you've got a lot to work on. Um, we need correction in every area of our life, in the way we talk, in the way we act. We need to be corrected in our motivations. We need correction. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1 tells us this. Again, God is speaking to us, and he says, He who is often rebuke, rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed beyond remedy. He who is often rebuked. God isn't preparing you and I for some small amount of criticism. He isn't looking at us and saying, at some point in your life, you're going to need some correction. I think oftentimes when we think about this, we think this is what was done to me as a kid. This is, this is what happened when I was in school. And now that I'm older, this is what I do to, to others. Again, as Mark led us through last week, there, there's great truth and importance in that. But we don't age out of correction. We are told uh, beautifully in Lamentations, God's mercy is new every morning. And it is so poetic and beautiful and has been an encouragement to so many. But there's a practical truth attached to that. His mercy is new every morning. Why? 
because I am in need of his mercy every single day. God, through his word, prepares and reminds each of us that we are going to need a lot of correction. And here's why that should be encouraging. It means you can stop trying to convince yourself and everyone else that you've got it all right, that you've got it all together. There won't be a day in your life that you couldn't use some correction. So all the effort you put in to making people think that you have it figured out, that you've got it all together, that you're above correction, you can just let that go. It has no value and it's not true. There is only one person in all of history that lived their life and didn't need any correction. And here's the good news, it's not you. My great hope in life is not to get to the point where no one can correct me. My great hope in life is Jesus. So God wants us somehow to move from hating correction to loving correction. And that's only going to happen if we set our eyes on Jesus. If it is so important that we need correction, then we need to take an honest look at why this is so hard for so many of us. The Bible guides us even in, in, in why it is so hard for us to receive discipline and correction. So here are just three ways. Number one, receiving correction is hard um, because it is often given so badly. God uses a number of means to correct and to discipline his children. One of the primary way he corrects us is through fellow Christians. He uses brothers and sisters in the church to rebuke, to correct, to remind, to instruct, and to discipline us. And yet, it turns out that fellow Christians aren't always very good at this. The Bible has a lot to say about bad correction. I've been on the receiving end of a lot of bad correction before. My wife and I have been married for 23 years now. And for much of the first half of our marriage, we dealt with infertility. We tried for years to have, a ch have children and we had not been able to. We were working with doctors trying to figure it out. Um, and in the midst of this, uh, a Christian reached out to us and said, I'd really like to pray with you about uh, your situation. So we went over to their house and we sat there for over an hour. And we sat there while they communicated to us uh, very clearly that there is something in your life that's not right. Some sin or lack of faith, and that is why you're not able to have kids. Now, they became even more pointed when they said to us, if you had faith, you would be able to have children. And after about an hour of that, for the last 90 seconds of our time together, they prayed for us. Now, I can remember just as clearly today how I felt for that entire hour and 90 seconds as, as, as I know it was 15 years ago. This is essentially what happens in the book of Job. Job is going through very difficult suffering, great loss, and he has three friends that come to him. And, and they're, they're good for a few days, but after a few days, they start basically saying these same things. They start telling Job that, that his suffering was because he had done something wrong. They repeatedly tell him to admit his sin and to repent and that God would bless him again. In Job 16.2, Job finally shouts out what is normal to shout out. He just says, you are miserable comforters, all of you. And then God speaks to them. In Job 42, he is not approving of what they did. Even, even Job didn't like it, but God doesn't approve of it either. God speaking to them in Job 42 says, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. We get it messed up a lot. Self-righteousness creeps in. 
a false understanding creeps in and, and we feel like we need to correct at times where we probably don't. But I don't want to just call out others. I, I know I don't often give correction well. I've messed this up in big and small ways. Um, I, I either avoid it or I lash out and become much angrier than I intend. Um, I know some of you know what Paw Patrol is. Uh, if, if you don't, uh, it is the single worst entertainment that has ever been created. And, and my daughter absolutely loves it. And I have seen every single episode. Um, every episode is the exact same thing. It is not educational. It has no redeeming value. Um, it, it just drives me crazy. Uh, but Clementine loves it so very much. And when we watch an episode together, she, afterwards, she just keeps telling me what happened in the episode as if I was not there. Um, and, and, and I keep trying to say gently to her, that's, that's great, but, but please stop talking about Paw Patrol. Um, and eventually one day, I, I, I was just very frustrated. And in an angry way, I said, you have to stop, start, stop talking about Paw Patrol or you're going to bed right now. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. And, <laughs> and, and I was completely serious. I would have, would have done it. Uh, she did not receive that well, but she did stop talking about Paw Patrol. Uh, in, in the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament, we're told how our correction should be. It should be gentle and patient. Um, we should have a goal in it. We should want to help the other person. Mine is often angry and impatient. Most of the time when we are finally willing to correct someone, it's, because, it's, it's not because of the good it will do for them. It's because of the impact it's had on us. Uh, it's pet peeves that drive us crazy or things that irritate us that we just can't let go anymore. Many times the corrections that we have received has not been out of love. It didn't have our good and God's glory in mind. It is often angry and, and heavy-handed. It is done badly and with bad intention, and it hurts. Um, and in many of those instances, there are Christian people trying to do what they think is right. They're trying to offer correction and discipline. They're trying to do what they, the thing that they believe that God would want them to do. But they do it in ways that only hurt more and make the pain deeper. And, and that's what many of us have received in the, in the name of Christian discipline. And so if you've been hurt by someone self-righteously questioning your faith because you're suffering, if you have received primarily bad correction, then you are going to do everything in your power to avoid receiving correction. Why would you want to deal with this in your life. I understand why people would run as far away as they can from the word discipline. Bad discipline is wrong and it should be guarded against and called out. Yet we don't dismiss and neglect something that God has said is important just because people mess it up. Discipline and correction should always be done for the sake of love, for the good of the other person. And we have a God who does that perfectly for us. He does it gently, he does it patiently, and he graciously because he loves us so much. And it is hard to receive correction, oftentimes, because of how badly it's done. Uh, but receiving correction is not just hard because of other people. Uh, the second reason it is so hard is because we are a very prideful people. Proverbs chapter 29 that we read earlier, um, this is uh, verse 1. It says simply, A man who hardens or stiffens his neck after a lot of reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. God knows what this will bring up in us. He knows that pride will come out. I'm a very prideful person. 
I am genuinely shocked when someone corrects me. Every time I get corrected, it's like the first time in my life that someone pointed something out. Like no one has ever told me I've done something wrong before. I'm shocked, I get angry, my pride wells up, and I begin to make a long list of everything that this person has ever done wrong in their life. Um, No one's sin is ever more clear to me than when you correct me. Um, My immediate reaction is, oh, you're gonna correct me? then a tidal wave of correction is going to be coming your way. Correction doesn't need to surprise us. We all need correction. We, we need it in our lives. We don't need to be shocked by it. We don't need to be surprised. Um, all while this is happening inside of me and I'm getting defensive and thinking of what's wrong with them, Proverbs 29 is just proving itself true. My neck is getting stiffer and my pride is becoming firmer. I begin to believe that this person is not worthy of correcting me. That no one is actually worthy of correcting me. And so I begin to dismiss and, and what, their, what their correction is and start thinking that I don't need to be corrected at all. Humility keeps us from thinking so highly of ourselves that we, we think we're above correction. Humility keeps us from thinking the person in front of me is not nearly as good or as giving or as righteous as I am. So it keeps us from saying, how could you think you could correct me? Humility knows that I don't think rightly, act rightly, speak rightly about every single thing in my life. The Bible is clear. We, we all need correction. I know for some of us, correction, because of our pride, because of other reasons, can send us spiraling. It can make us feel like we're awful or worthless. The fact that you need correction doesn't make you horrible or worthless. It just means that you're human. You are not uniquely wrong or sinful. You are just as wrong and sinful as the person next to you. Receiving correction is hard because of our, our, our pride, what comes up in us when we experience it and feel it, because we're not prepared to receive it. And then thirdly, receiving correction is hard because the Bible tells us that it's going to be hard. The Bible tells us that all discipline is painful. This is Hebrews chapter, 11, chapter 12, verse 11. It actually prepares us for this. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat things, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it is meant to produce something. All discipline, all correction is, is hard. A few years ago, I got dressed for church on a morning just like this. Uh, and in general, if you know me, I've got about five outfits that I wear in a given week. Um, but this morning, I did something a little different. I picked out a shirt I don't usually wear. And I know I sound like I, I'm, I'm six years old, but I was feeling pretty proud of myself. And so I walked out and I asked my wife what she thought. And she said, you look great. And that should have been the end of the conversation. But she just kept looking at me. And she, <laughs> she, she took a longer look and she just goes, it's a lot of brown. And I could tell by the way she said it, it wasn't like, it's a lot of brown and that's great. She then made it much more clear and she says, you look like you're about to lead a safari. <laughs> and, and that hurt. <laughs> um, And then she said, you want me to be honest with you, right? To which I said, no. (laughs) Not in the least bit. 
all I want you to do is tell me how great I look. I didn't want her to be honest. I didn't want to be corrected. It hurt. I didn't want to hear that. But even more than I didn't want to hear that, I didn't want to show up on Sunday morning looking like I was going to lead a safari. <laughs> all discipline seems painful. We can all attest to that. But God calls us not just to endure discipline, but to learn to love it because of what it produces in us. But to learn to love it because of the end result. Um, to learn to love it according to Proverbs chapter 12, verse, verse 1. We are meant to receive it willingly, welcome it into our lives. So then, if that's true, then how do we get there? Like, we can say, okay, I'm not supposed to hate correction. But then how do we receive correction well? Um, here are a few things that God has given us to help us move from hating to loving corrections. First, we need to learn to open our lives to others. Uh, we create so much space between ourselves and other people that no one knows us well enough to correct anything in our life. We often do this intentionally. Maybe, maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we just don't want anybody speaking into it. We don't want those things. So we create distance between us and others. God has given us a great gift in making us a part of his church. And with that church comes people who are meant to offer correction to us. We are meant to have people in our lives that we confess our sins to, that, that see us living our lives, that know the things that we're going through. We are meant to have people in our lives that know us well enough to correct things in our lives. Hebrews chapter 3 is, is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. Um, chapter 3 tells us that we need to exhort one another daily, lest we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. We need people in our lives to exhort us, which is just another way of saying correct or instruct. Every single day, sin is trying to harden our hearts. And we need people that will exhort us, remind us of who we are in Christ, correct our thinking when we become bitter, angry, prideful. We all need people that we can confess our sin to and that love us enough to correct us. God intends for consistent correction, con confession, and repentance to, to chip away and remove the sin in our hearts and lives. You are meant to be close to others and to allow others to speak into your life. This is why our, our community groups and our Seeing Jesus Together groups are so valuable here at Redemption Hill. Those groups simply give us people that know us, that consistently hear our struggles, our sins, our victories. These groups give you people that you can open your life to, that you can trust, and, and, and then you should actually welcome them into, into, to speak into your life. You should actually tell them specifically, I want you to speak into this. I know I'm not perfect. When you see me act or speaking in a way that is sinful, please tell me. When you see me act in a way that is not in line with how a Christian should act, please call me out on that. Whether you are in a community group or not, you need those kinds of relationships in your life. We miss out on one of God's most gracious gifts if we rarely confess our sins to another. We miss out on one of God's most gracious gifts if we never hear correction from our brothers and sisters. Someone who loves God's correction will open their lives to others. And when we open our lives to others, we invite them to correct us, to rebuke us, to instruct us. I think most of us can acknowledge that we're not perfect, but where it gets really hard for, for us is when someone else sees that. When they see that and then they point it out. 
We can acknowledge that we all need to grow, that we need correction, but we want to be the ones to figure that out on our own. So when we open our lives to others, then we welcome correction into our lives. Secondly, to be able to love correction, we have to listen and hear God's voice in the correction. Our main verse here today, Proverbs 12, 1, starts with, he who loves correction. The word love here literally means to have an appetite for. We want it. We welcome it. How do we get hungry for this? How is that even possible? It is only possible if you see the good that it produces. It is only possible if you see the good that, that happens through it. It is only possible if you get to hear God's voice speaking to you in that correction. For the Christian, that is what we want. That is what we long for. So we need to train our hearts and our minds to hear God's voice even in the midst of discipline and correction. When someone comes to you and offers that correction, do you normally think, God is trying to teach me something right now? Probably not. I don't. I focus on that person right in front of me. That's all I see and that's all I hear. I focus on what I disagree with what they're saying. I, I focus in on what they're, what's wrong about what they're saying or the way they're saying, saying it, the motives behind it. But I'm not looking to see what is true. What do I need to change? What is God speaking to me about right now? I end up dismissing everything that they say and, and, and never taking a moment to consider, is God trying to use this in my life? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 9 is really helpful with this. Uh, the author here of Hebrews actually quotes uh, Proverbs in the beginning part of this. The, the, m- much of the chapter is about discipline. But, but verses 5 through 9 say this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who, whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This is the Lord's discipline. That's what we're looking for. We're not just looking to become people who just correct each other all the time. We're actually looking to say, how do we become more like God? What is God speaking to us? What are the things that we need to see in our lives that need to become more like God? How do we do that? And correction is one of the clear signs that God loves you. The Lord reproves those he loves. He even says, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, there isn't one Christian in the Bible present here today or throughout history that God hasn't disciplined in some way. If you've never experienced discipline, then God says you are not one of his children. One of the, the, the key ways that he brings that correction into our lives, apart from other people, is directly through his word. We need to have a longing for God's word. We need to go to it each and every day and have it on our hearts and minds. God uses that to correct us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 makes it very clear. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture, everything that God says in his word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's all there. We need it desperately. We need to to desire to hear from God. And it will never be as clear as it is in his word. Many times when we hear the word discipline, our mind immediately goes to punishment. 
Discipline from God doesn't need to be seen as I'm so awful, I deserve to be punished. You don't need to feel like you need to pursue this or discipline or punish yourself. Discipline from God means that we need God to teach us, to instruct us, and to point out our sin, to correct us when we're going wrong, to train us, to be made righteous. There's a great end goal here. It is not simply to punish you. It is to make you who you are meant to be. We should want that in our life because we want God in our life. We learn to love even the discipline that God offers because that discipline leads us to hear God speaking to us. And then finally, we learn to love discipline because it leads us to be more like Jesus. And that is something that we should treasure above all things. As a Christian, we should not desire anything more than to be like Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks a lot in his letters about discipline that he received from the Lord, things that he had gone through. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he makes this wonderful, beautiful statement. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul says, I have suffered loss. He had been put in prison. He had been betrayed. He had been attacked. He had been left for dead. He had been disciplined by God. He had, he had suffered and hurt. And yet he says, all of that, I suffer the loss of all things. Why? It's not just because it's good to suffer. It's not just because discipline is good. It's because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, there's nothing in this world that should be more important to you than being made to be more like Jesus. There's no amount of reputation. There's no amount of intellect. There's, there's nothing that you can be seen by others that is worth hanging on to. Nothing that has more worth than knowing Jesus Christ. So we welcome correction. We welcome discipline because we want to know Jesus. We want to be made like Jesus. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. That's what Proverbs 12:1 says. For us as, as Christians, the knowledge that we long for, the knowledge that we love is knowing God, is knowing Jesus. It surpasses everything else in value. Is that what we actually believe? Is that what our actions, our motivations, our words, is that what they reflect? When we receive correction, when we give correction, is that what's on our hearts and minds, that I want to be made more like Jesus today? We should have an appetite, a hunger, a passionate desire that is greater than our desire for anything else in this world. One last quick uh, but important point. Correction and discipline, even though they can be painful, they are not eternal punishment. Christ took the penalty for our sins. And because of that, we have received freedom from that punishment, freedom from that penalty for all sins, past, present, and future. Jesus took the punishment of all of our sin and gave us love and grace in place of that punishment. So now we receive correction and not the judgment we deserve. Because Jesus died for our sins, we can now receive discipline, but we receive it knowing that we will not receive eternal punishment. 
God uses his discipline to draw us close to him as his sons and daughters. He disciplines us to make us more like him and, and because he loves us. And we can never sin our way out of that. We can never need so much correction that we can be separated from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even how much correction you need today or tomorrow. I know discipline and correction can feel difficult. God's word tells us that it is painful, but it is momentary and not forever. Because of Jesus, we are his treasured sons and daughters forever. That is our eternity. We will not be disciplined forever. What we ultimately receive is Jesus, and with him comes eternal life, and we will not be corrected for eternity. We will be able to rejoice and sing and be with him forever. So we can take correction now, knowing that, 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 that nothing can take that away from us. Nothing can take that away from us. God isn't threatening us. He's growing us. He's not condemning you. He's transforming you in, 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 through discipline in, in, into, into one of his sons and daughters. He loves you so much. And because of that, he's going to discipline you. But he also willingly sent his son into this world so that we could be saved. And that is remarkably good news, even while we feel the sting of discipline. That is remarkably good news so that we can actually learn to love the discipline and correction that God has for us. In a couple of moments, we're going to take uh, some time to reflect on these truths, and then we will take communion together. Uh, for those of you who have not trusted and believed in Christ, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I just, I want you to know, I want you to take this time and just reflect on Jesus. Think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. Please know you can't be perfect you can't be perfect with your words, your actions, and you don't have to be. You can stop trying to be. You can stop trying to save yourself. You can turn and trust in Christ who has paid the, the, the price for your sin and called you to come and receive life. And so during this time, I want you to just consider what it means to turn and to consider to turning your life to Jesus. He is calling you. He is inviting you to turn away from your sins, to turn away from your best efforts and receive forgiveness, grace, and mercy. He is calling you. God is calling you to receive Jesus today. We all have faults. We all have sins. We all need Jesus. And what we do with that matters. I hope that you will consider and turn to Jesus today. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ and believed in his power to save us, we are going to come and we are going to take the bread and dip it into the juice. And we are going to hear the power of God proclaimed. We will not hear that we are perfect. We will not hear that we can just fix ourselves, that we can have a perfect life here on earth. We will not hear that we will never need correction. We will hear that Christ was perfect and that God sent his son into this world and he was given. And, and because of that, because Christ came and died when we were so desperately lost without him, we will hear that Christ took our punishment and because of that, we have life. And we can be saved. And as you come, members of this church will speak words of life to you. They will remind you that the body of Christ was offered for you and the blood of Christ was shed for you. We will be reminded of the beautiful words of Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In our weakness, 
in our need for correction, we can proclaim the glory of Jesus. We can proclaim our need for him. We can proclaim the, the, the Lord's death. So we will, be, we will be reminded of his power and we will, we will proclaim his power as a church. Let's pray together and we'll take a couple minutes to reflect. Father, I thank you uh, for your mercy. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your gentleness. And Father, I thank you for your discipline and your correction. I thank you that you love us enough as your people, as your children, to correct us. I know for so many in here in this room that we have experienced hurt, pain, suffering, we've experienced loss. And in that loss, we have often sinned and rebelled and grown angry. So, Father, I, I, I pray today that as, as you would do a work that only you can do, that you would heal uh, those hurts. And that through it all, that we would be able to see you and see you clearly. That you would give us new eyes that would allow us to see your, your mercy and your grace and your kindness. That it would allow us to see your love for us. And, and allow us to see your holiness and make us long for it and want to be like you and want to see you and to know you as you lead us into your righteousness. Father, you have, you have saved us. You have proclaimed us blameless and righteous because of Jesus. We can never thank you enough. We do not have to worry that we are going to be punished forever. We get to enjoy life with you forever and ever. We are always looking forward to that. So help us to see that and remember that. Uh, transform us by it and learn us, learn, teach us to, to, to learn to walk in light of that. Father, help us to see Jesus more clearly today and give us hearts that say that nothing else matters in comparison to him. We pray this in his beautiful and wonderful name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.